0: Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and head over to bridgechurchutah.com and have access to all of the church information and it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at Bridge Church Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So what we're going to look at tonight is the parallel between Jewish wedding tradition and Jesus and the church, okay? And uh, so I'm going to start with a question, of course. If you're taking notes tonight, um, there's going to be about a trillion and a half scriptures. So I'm going to read fast. It's funny. Somebody made a comment on Chase's thing last week. They're like, he talks fast. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to try to talk fast. I can barely talk slow. So bear with me. Um, take some good notes because this, is, this isn't like life-changing, but it's super interesting how God arranged this whole thing, right? And uh, if you wanted to turn to a scripture, you could turn to Matthew 25. Um, we're going to look at that in more detail than everything else. But here's a question for you tonight. Why is marriage so important to God? Why is marriage so important to God and not so important to man? Because people split out of marriages like at the drop of a hat. There is no more commitment in the world, it seems like. People just bail right? And I get infidelity and all that stuff, but marriages can recover from that, that, those types of things. So <laughs> marriage is God created, right? It wasn't created by a, a marriage guy or, or somebody trying to make some money. It was created by God. We see it in Genesis, um, about chapter 2 or so. Um, but if you look at marriage as a whole, you can see why God designed an other-centered union, Think about that. Marriage Counseling 101, if I'm counseling anybody, I'm like, uh, especially young people, I'll say, are you ready to put her needs before yours? That is rule number one in marriage. And rule number two, well, actually, that's rule number two. Rule number one is put Jesus in the middle. If Jesus is in the middle and you're both putting each other's needs before each other, you will succeed in marriage 100% of the time. Amen? So you can see why God designed this, right? It's a me-centered world, and God designed it for an other-centered relationship, right? can't be about you in this relationship, right? And that's a challenge when things pile up, like financial issues, right? And it's easy to be married when there's no children involved. Ask Joel about this. It's fun to be married when there's no kids. You put kids in the equation, all of a sudden things are like, what just happened? Because it's like, holy cow. And we'll see a lot of times, if you look at marriage statistics, marriages struggle when children come into the mix. And in our case, we're on the other end of that where it's just us now. And I got to tell you, this is the best thing ever. (laughs) Get out, don't come back. Send the grandkids over, like the other day yesterday monday we had a blast and then they went home and we cleaned up the mess and life went on back to normal nice and quiet at my house right so we can see it gets tough but how many of you know if god is at the center you can't quit a marriage right and a marriage is a covenant that is cut between two people and if you know the way god does covenants if you break the covenant somebody's life is required, right? You're just going to have to kill somebody. That's it. And that somebody is your spouse, right? So a couple of things. God created marriage as a loyal partnership between one man and one woman, okay? God created this, a loyal partnership. We have to be loyal to each other. You can't quit. It's not about that, right? Right? Marriage, this is important when the kids come. Marriage is the firmest foundation to build a family on, okay? Because one man, one woman with Jesus in the middle, not about me putting her needs before my needs, that's a great foundation to build on. And here's the the third one. Marriage mirrors God's covenant relationship with his people. That's the big one. God's, I'll, I'll repeat that marriage mirrors God's covenant relationship with his people. So let's look at the Old Testament. God often refers to his relationship with his chosen people in terms of marriage, where God is the husband, the people are the bride, right? So let's look at this Isaiah 54:5, "For your maker is your husband," capital M referring to God and maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. No doubt he's talking about God the Father, right? He is called God of the whole earth. In Jeremiah 31, same chapter everybody gets so excited about, right? And remember, Jeremiah the prophet is writing to people in bondage, okay? Not according to the covenant that I made with my fathers in the day that I took them, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So notice who broke the covenant, right? But God's referring to them, himself, as their husband. Hosea 2.16 says this. Remember, Hosea, it just cracks me up. Gomer, hi, this is my wife, Gomer. Everybody'd be like, what? Gomer was a working girl, so we all know that. Huh? Gomer Pyle, right? This is an old enough group to know who that was. So Hosea says this, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you shall call me, capital M, my husband, and no longer call me my master. Some of your, some of your Bibles, if you have a, maybe a standard translation, that my master is Baal. That's what Baal means, the Baal prophets prayed to, they called the Baal, God, my master. So let's see what Jesus continues the metaphor in the New Testament. And we all know this, I'm just reminding you, okay? Matthew 9:15 says this, and Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Jesus is referring to himself as the bridegroom. Right? And remember, there's no church yet. So these guys are probably like, what are you talking about? Now, if they listened to the prophets, they would know that God the Father was their husband. Okay? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, clearly referring to himself, and they will fast. That's Matthew 9, 15. Okay? Now, this verse in Matthew 25, I want to read, I'm going to read out of my Bible here, because this is the parable of the 10 virgins no clearer explanation of Jesus and the church as the bride than this, okay? The parable, it's Matthew 25. We're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. Jesus is speaking in red. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And this should wake you up a little bit, okay? Because I think the church can get sleepy, all right? Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil, right? I believe that the oil is representative of the anointing here in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. We'll learn more about that in a minute. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then, those, then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. I want to talk about that word trimmed in the Greek there is cosmeo. This is the word compared cosmetic. So in reference, Chase last week talked about symbolism. A lot of symbolism tonight. The symbolism of that trim their lamps was that they they were putting their face on, flat ironing their hair. They were trimming themselves to get ready to meet the bridegroom. Okay, It's it's interesting. That that Greek word means beautify, arrange, decorate, furnish, embellish, adorn, or put in order. I had uh, my pastor's wife was uh, she, she's just really intense when it comes to, like, secret place in Jesus' time. And uh, she would always say, I would never go to the throne room without brushing my teeth, combing my hair, getting dressed. You know what I mean? So that's what he's talking about here, getting ready to go meet the king. Now, if you were, like, out trolling, if we were all single people, and we went out, like, to pick up some chicks right back to the 80s right it would be you wouldn't you wouldn't go out there in sweats with pizza stains and spaghetti hanging out of your pocket and all that kind of stuff right you would want to go meet somebody you're going to come dressed you're going to come looking like you're somebody okay so that's what they're talking about here the foolish said to the wise give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out but the wise answered saying no Lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather, uh, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Okay? Verse 10 and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, right? Maybe the church is going to be preoccupied with something stupid when the bridegroom comes. What did Chase say at the end of his series on the end times? Watch and pray. Don't get occupied doing something dumb, right? While they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, hallelujah, say ready, ready, went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Huh, that ought to wake you up a little bit. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Just like Chase said at the end of his series, watch Therefore, for you, know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That watch is a challenge the Lord gives us to be constantly and eagerly watching for him. All these prophets and all the prophecy and all the things that have to happen and all that stuff's great, but we have to be watching, watching for a, bride to come, or a bridegroom to come, right? Right? Uh, The duty is twofold. Prepare yourselves for his coming. That's why I just said. Get ready, right? You're not going to go to a meeting with somebody important looking all raggedy, right? The world, we'll get more about this in a second. And then the second thing we're supposed to do is, well, first thing, be ready. Second thing, do business till I come, which tells me keep worshiping, keep praying, keep believing God, keep working to the goal, amen. It's important that Jesus told that story clearly. The church is the bride. He is the bridegroom, and he is coming to get him. Now, the apostle Paul refers to Christ as the husband and to the believing church. In 2 Corinthians eleven two. for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you, we'll use that word again in a minute, to one husband, one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Powerful right there. That Jesus, a lot of these scriptures we're going to look at tonight are are just ridiculous. When you think about it and just meditate on it for, for a couple of minutes and understand that what Jesus did when he was here was in all preparation to come and get his bride. And here's the brides over here flopping around like a fish out of water, worried about them, worried about what, they, what they're doing, and am I doing this, and am I doing the right thing, when he's like, I've already done that for you. You know, I, I'm not a firm, I, I, I am a firm believer in repenting for sin all day, for sure. But you have to understand that sin has been paid for. And I think the church focuses too much on what's happening and not enough on what's coming. Amen? Are you with me? Now, Ephesians chapter 5, we've all heard this verse at a marriage seminar. And Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for her. Think about that for a second. He gave himself for his bride. I think there's probably not a husband in here who won't give themselves for their bride, right? That he might. Now, this is important. This is so important, and it gets glazed over because everybody wants to focus on the husband and the bride thing, which is great. But listen, this is so important. He says that he might present her to himself. He's going to present the bride. Here she is. And it's a glorious church, not a struggling church, not a waffling church, not a broke church, not a, not a don't know what to do church and, you know, uh, uh, having all these issues church. It's a, ch- a powerful, a glorious, is that word in the Greek, glorious, Woo, that's a whole nother level. Yet we have to understand this is all about identity right here, because this is where we struggle. We are It's weird as a man to say this, but I'm somebody's bride. I am wearing a dress, though, okay? (laughs) Uh, I'm a glorious bride. And and catch this. Listen to this. When you struggle with self-esteem and you deal with depression and you deal with everything because everybody tells you you suck, that's the world's mantra to tell you you suck. Listen to what he says. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the um, water by the word. Without not having, I missed that part. He said, uh, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So when you wake up in the morning and your hair is, blah! and your hips hurt, and your back is tweaked, and your legs hurt, and you can't walk, you got to look in the mirror, and you say, that thing right there is glorious and without spot and wrinkle, or any such thing. That's, that's victory walking. I had a prayer uh, in, in the book, maybe we'll pray it at the end. It's called the overcoming prayer, and, and it's just like, You have to, this is a mentality of being the bride that we are overcomers, that we are without spot, that we are without wrinkle, or any such thing, which makes it a pretty big statement, and that she should be holy. Look at your neighbor and say, you are holy. And I'm not talking about your pants, because that's cool now to wear the holes, right? and she should be holy and without blemish." Think about that in your own self. When you see a bride at a wedding, that woman has spent hours and hours in the dress and the selection process and the makeup and the wax and the hair and the eyebrows and the eyelashes and everything the nails. And all 20 of them, for crying out loud, which is crazy. Who knew you could make your feet look pretty and it would cost a billion dollars? Pet peeve. Moving on. But think about that for a second in your life with Jesus, right? And, And just, I am a part of this thing, this church that is glorious, that does not have a spot or a wrinkle on it or any such thing, and I am holy, and I am without blemish, that's a big deal. Yes, it is. That's a big deal. When you think of the church, and everybody, i that pastor, and all this, and that worship band, and this, without blemish, glorious church, without spot and wrinkle. That is what Jesus is coming for. Why can't we act like that now? Why can't we hold on to that and keep that as our mantra? in life, right? That's important that we understand that. Now, in Revelation, John is, is, is writing the, um, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it's penned by John. And, and, and towards the end of Revelation, in chapter 19, verse 7, he says this, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory have a praise break for a second. <laughs> Thank you, Father. You are good. You are awesome. You are glorious, God. We rejoice and be glad in it. Yes. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. We'll get to this maybe next time, but when, when all this is done and Jesus comes for his bride, this is what this is talking about. And, and, and look at the last line. It's what I was just talking about, that verse in Ephesians. His wife has made herself ready. We are in this place every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Friday, every whatever, making ourselves ready. Just just remember that. All that stuff, we're glorious. We're without spot and wrinkle. We are making ourselves ready. Revelation, I'm not even going to get as far as I thought I was. Revelation 21, verse 2 Then I, John, saw the holy city. Listen to this. New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's coming. Jesus is going to come for his his wife, and she's going to be coming. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be the greatest day in the world. Uh, We'll come back to this verse in a second, but Revelation 21, 9. Then one of the seven angels who had seen the seven, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven, last last plagues came to me and talked to me saying, I will come and show you the bride, the lamb's wife. An angel said that. Look at my wife. She's some kind of hot. She's glorious, not a wrinkle, not a spot. She's beautiful. It's amazing. The imagery and symbolism of this whole thing of marriage is applied to Jesus and the body of believers known as the church. Now, who's a part of the church? Right. If you are born again, redeemed from the curse, purchased back, you're a part of that group. Now, that could always open up the can of worms of, okay, who's really saved and who's not? Because Jesus said in the parable of the ten virgins, five of them were like, yeah, I didn't know you. My belief is confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, life change takes place, you're in the family, your name goes in the Lamb's Book of Life, and does not come out, okay? The church is comprised of those who have trusted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and received eternal life. That's who the bride is. Now, that could be Catholics, could be Protestants, could be whoever, as long as Jesus is your Lord, all right? It's important that these are the redeemed without spot and wrinkle, glorious church, that's us, right? That's us, okay? So, Jesus, the bridegroom, has sacrificially and lovingly chosen. Jesus not only chose to pay the price, but he chose the church as his bride. Think about that for a second. He could have said, nah, I'm good, right? Going back to the series at Easter time, Jesus could have said, no, I'm good, I, I, I just want to hang out and just relax, but that is not his character or his nature. He chose the church, which is you and you and you and you guys and me and everybody in here who believes Jesus is Lord. It's kind of a big deal that you catch that. Kind of a big deal that you're saved, that you're healed, you're set free, right? So it's important. Just as there, uh, now we've seen like Mary and Joseph, right? The betrothal period in biblical times, okay? Whatever you know about getting married, maybe you planned your wedding and got married and all that, throw that all out because this is not like that. In traditional Jewish culture, there's a betrayal, betrayal, (laughs) betrothal period, during which time the bride and the groom are separated. All right? Somebody's like walking around and see some hot chick. There she is. I like her. (laughs) Will you marry me with my plastic ring? So I I see this this girl, right? I kind of got a thing here. Could be arranged, could not be arranged, right? So now this betrothal period is complicated. It's not just to like slide the ring on the finger and oh, we're engaged, let's put it on Facebook and tell everybody, this is great. It's not like that. This is a legal binding contract in Jewish culture. It's not just fun and games. There's a process that takes takes you through this thing. And it's it, it's very hard and very long. Can take the between the betrothal and, and the actual wedding could take years in Jewish culture. Right? And if you look at where the church is now, it's been what twenty two thousand years plus? Two thousand and twenty years plus. 2022 years plus, and still moving, could take a long time. So once the betrothal, we'll talk more about this in a minute. Process takes place. There's a separation between the bride and the and the groom, and we saw that Jesus split right. And and uh, the churches, the bride's responsibility during this time is really gonna. Is this hard to hear? But the her responsibility, the church, during the betrothal period, is to remain faithful. Just let that settle into your heart for a second. How faithful can we stay while we wait? Because Chase, again, during his message about Jesus' instructions at the end of time was to watch and pray, okay? Our job is to remain busy And watch and pray according to what Jesus said. Now, at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24 says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be uh, to their own husbands in everything. Meaning, be faithful to your husband in everything. If you have a faithful mindset, you're not gonna waffle, right? I'm gonna remain faithful to Jesus. And, you know, martyrs around the world losing their heads losing their families, losing their children, people dying, and they're staying faithful. So us in the West, sometimes we got to work to stay faithful. It's tough. But then when the rapture happens, whatever your theology is on when that happens, pre, post, mid, whatever, at the rapture, the church will be united with the bridegroom, and it's official, the wedding ceremony takes place. It hasn't even happened yet. We're just in the betrothal process, so we're not even married yet. Jesus is coming for his bride, and in Jewish culture, that's a whole other process, loud and yelling and shouting and drums beating and all this crazy stuff takes place, okay? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Then, once the wedding ceremony takes place, the eternal union of Christ and his bride will be actualized. That's when the new Jerusalem comes, and there's white stones, and you got secret names, and all this cool stuff happens. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be one of those things where, you know, when you have a really emotional day, like your kids get married, and you just want to go take a nap, you won't have to worry about that. Because you will be supernaturally empowered. I like what, back to Revelation 19 says this. He says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. We read that verse earlier. The verse after in verse 8 says this, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's already happening, that we are arrayed in white. You see, white and linen and garments, referring to the robe of righteousness, right? Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who wants to be called to that wedding? Who wants an invite, right? You don't have to wait for an invite. If you're in the family, if you're part of the bride, you're coming. And that will be the most glorious day Ever. All right? So, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, the first thing that happens in a, in a traditional Jewish wedding is there's two stages to the Jewish wedding. The first stage is the Kedushin, or the betrothal period, when the couple are set apart from uh, others, and they become dedicated exclusively to one another. We could call that in church terms, sanctification. Right? I proposed to my girl who left. Yeah. She got cold feet and left me here standing at the altar. That's funny. I don't care who you are. Right. So during this betrothal period, I have decided to we have decided to wed, and there's a whole process that we're gonna go through in a minute about this. This is a period of intention and preparation. We are preparing to be wed, right? The husband would offer, this is, this is crazy, right? The husband would offer a bride price to the woman's family to make his intentions known. So when I would go to Michelle's house when we first got together, it took me three years to get across the sidewalk. So this was a long betrothal process, right? She, Her parents just, you know, whatever. It's a whole nother story. I, had to, I would have to offer a price and make my intentions known. I would have to say, here's, in, in her case, $73 trillion because she's just that great. That's my bride price for her. And, uh, and her father would make the final decision. A couple of weird old things. She would know the price that I am paying for her, and her father would have the final decision. On that price, right? Once the bride price was paid, right? No taking a loan, making payments. Yeah, I'll pay you 20 bucks a week forever. <laughs> we have eternal life, right? No, it has to be paid in full and is accepted. The husband, the betrothed, the bridegroom would leave. <laughs> be like, yes, yeah, see ya girlfriend. I'm going to go for a long time without a haircut, I can tell. Right, So the husband would leave, and he would prepare a home for him and his wife to live after the wedding ceremony. Does that sound familiar? Okay, So once we leave, she is doing her thing. I am going to leave, and I'm usually going to go to my father's house in Jewish culture, and I'm going to build onto the back of that house, and that's going to be our house. That's the way it works, right? Jewish families are super tight, and they're usually... Well, tradition, they would like to stay in the same tribe and marry the same tribe and keep it all together and just build on to the back of the house. Have children, those children would rise up and build on an east wing. And those children would raise up and they would build on to this side and this sprawling campus of house would be where people live. While all that's going on, the woman would be be collecting her dowry or a gift to bring into the marriage. Think about this for a second. We're talking, God bless you. We're, you know, she would be pre- preparing a gift to bring into the marriage, and her um, uh, getting, getting set for the date that's coming as it would approach, there would be a, um, a thing called a tish that would take place. Think about this for a second. This will freak you out right here. It's a a bridal reception. During the tish, the bride would go into the mikvah, which is basically a jacuzzi, and she would be ceremonially bathing to be cleansed, and then she would receive some henna ink, designs on her body for protection and for beauty. Now, henna is a plant that they would mash up and mix up, and it's kind of orange, and it's like brown, And they would make designs on her, I would think, you know, around the eyes, a little across the top, all this fancy pants stuff that girls do to make themselves look beautiful and getting ready. So now, 1 Corinthians 6.11, Paul's telling the church there, he says that Jesus' blood on the cross washes believers just like the mikvah cleanses the Jewish bride. It kind of sounds like baptism. Just just saying, right? Just thinking. So uh, uh, she is the gift, like the church is the gift in the wedding. The baptism that we do washes you, and the Holy Spirit is the gift that's given to us in the ceremony of being born again, right? Can you see born again in here anywhere? Where you are born again, you are now in the family as the bride you are baptized, washed, and then cleansed and purified, and the Holy Spirit comes as the gift, right? Now listen to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're gonna, we'll stop right here. It says this, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed... With the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise and the glory. To his praise and glory. You can see Jesus in this whole thing. How we are born again as believers. We're now a part of the bride family. We're baptized in the name of Jesus. And we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now we are ready to be wed to Jesus. I'm going to talk about that next time. How about that? Let's all stand together. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the sandy South Jordan, West Jordan, or Harriman area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, head over to Bridge Church, in Utah com or email info at bridgechurchutah.com or you can simply text 801-391-6969. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.